Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. I have a $5 bill here in my hand. Yes, you want this, don't you? If I was to come down to you and say, you have two options. Option number one, you can take this $5 bill for yourself, no strings attached. Or option number two, I can double this and give it to the next person. What would your answer be? She says, well, we know what her answer is. What if this now turned into $10? And I said, you can keep this for yourself, no strings attached, or double it. And I'll give it to the next person. Okay, well, what if this now turned into $20? Would your answer change at all? Would you say, I could really use that $20 for myself? Or would you say, nah, go ahead and double it and give it to the next person? This was a part of a social media experiment I've seen. Some college guys, what they did, they called this the generosity challenge. And what they did was they approached random people on the street And they asked them, point blank, here is $5 or whatever the amount was. Do you want to keep this for yourself? Or do you want us to double it and give it to the next person? And those people had the choice to make right then and there on what to do. Now, I watched eight of these videos. Eight of these videos. And out of eight videos, only once did the amount that kept being doubled, only once did it ever reach $40 before someone said, I want to keep that for myself. This was an interesting experiment because it honestly paints a picture of the choices many of us have to make today when it comes to money and when it comes to generosity. And it might be easy to say, $5? That's like what, a drink at Starbucks? Maybe not even that. It might be easy to say, no, double that and give it to the next person. $10, that, that might be easy to say, Double it and give it to the next person. But what about when it reaches $20, $40, $80? You see, there may come a point when that choice on what to do with it gets a little harder and harder to make. And many of us, be assured that in our life, we are going to have choices to make when it comes to finances and generosity. If you have been blessed to have a financial income of any kind, of any amount, You have choices to make to how that money is spent and how generous you are with that money. And in the world we live in, our generosity is always being challenged. Church, today we are in week two of our series, The Almighty Dollar, The Power of Money and How We Handle It. And I can tell by the look of some people I talked to today, you forgot we were talking about money. You're probably looking at your spouse right now and saying, honey, we were supposed to be sick. We were supposed to sleep in. Maybe you're new with us today, and you're sitting here thinking, oh, great, of course, a church talking about money. You know, we actually don't talk about money a whole lot around here, and probably not as often as we should. Because although we don't talk about money that often around here, Jesus actually had a lot to say when it comes to money. In fact, one of the boldest statements that Jesus makes is, can, can be found in Matthew chapter 6, where Matthew said, I'm sorry, where Jesus says, where your treasure is, what you value, 
what you invest in, there will your heart be also. Now, this is a pretty bold statement that Jesus makes. Because in essence, what he is saying is, show me your visa statement. Show me your Venmo. Show me your cash flow. And I will show you who you are and what you are all about. This is very interesting and very bold of Jesus to say. And actually, church, I think it's important for us to notice because there is such a dislike in the church about churches talking about money. And it's not because the churches talk about money. It's because every time we talk about something like this, it forces us to take an inward look at ourselves and truly evaluate how we spend our money. And a lot of times, we don't like the person we see. Why? Because our money reveals us. Now, it is important to note right off the top, Jesus never condemns money. Jesus doesn't condemn having money, investing money, making money. Jesus never condemns rich people, which should be great news for us. Because I know most of us in here would say, I'm not rich when it comes to my finances. But it doesn't take much research and much data to realize that most of us in here would actually qualify to be in the top 1% of the wealthiest people to ever live in the history of the entire world. Even if you are a middle-class person, you are considered to be in that top 1%. And so we read the Bible and we see, yeah, Jesus has a soft spot for the poor person, but he loves the rich person just the same. And although Jesus does not condemn rich people, what he does want us to see is that one of the best indicators of who you are is how you use your money. One of the best indicators of who you are as a person at your very core is found in how you use your money. It's about the heart behind it. Do I look at my money as a way to constantly have more, to buy more, to get more, to consistently up my lifestyle? Or do I look at it as a way to go beyond myself and invest in what really matters, to be generous and to help others? And so I actually think that the correct way to say this is one of the best indicators of who you are is how you use the money God has loaned to you. This is the correct way to say this because it's really what's going on here. It's about the money God has loaned to you. Now, I know most of you would say, Jacob, I work hard to earn my money. I work overtime. I work weekends. I work hard to earn money, and that's a good thing, and you should be commended for that. But far too often we can forget, just like Dale talked about last week, that God owns everything. Everything was made in him and through him. He owns everything. And often we can forget about the circumstances God places in our lives that leads us to where we are today, even financially. There are circumstances that are out of our control. None of us can, none of us can decide where we were born geographically, what time period we were born in, what kind of family we were born into, what kind of educational opportunities we would have, what kind of job opportunities would be available, what kind of people would be in our life to help influence us. None of us can decide on what skills would be ingrained into our mind and to our body that we can use to earn money. And so God places all of these circumstances in order. 
And so if I was to think of everything as being my money, I'm actually kind of naive in thinking that I have earned that all on my own. Because God is the one who places those circumstances in order, and any one of those circumstances can change in an instant. So it's not about my money, it's about the money God has given to me. I remember when I was a teenager, and I got my permit, and that Wednesday night, we had church on Wednesday night, I had a youth group, I drove my mom and myself to church in her vehicle. And when I got to youth group, I remember doing everything I can to just hint around that I could drive, and I drove tonight. Maybe you were the same way. I even did that thing teenagers do when we kind of flip our keys around, just kind of letting people know I have keys to a vehicle, right? And I kept referring to my parents' car as my car. I kept saying, I drove my car. Even after youth group, I said things like, I need to pull my car around to pick up my mom. Now, little did they know that it wasn't a car, it was actually a cool-looking minivan, but they didn't need to know that. But I kept referring to it as my car. And looking back, if my dad would have been standing behind me when I said that, and if you're a parent and you have kids who drive, you might relate. If my dad would have been standing behind me, he would have said, excuse me, your car? He would say, it's, it's not your car, you're using my car. He would say things like, I paid for it. I put the gas in it. I pay for the insurance. I change the oil. I rotate the tires. My name is on the title. It's not your car. It's my car. You're just using it. Maybe that's how we need to look at everything in life. God is so good to us. God loans us things in our life. He allows us to invest in things like a car. He allows us to have a house. He puts these circumstances in place. He allows us to have a financial income. Why? Why does he do that? So that we can partner with him and use those things to invest in the work that he is doing. Do you realize every day when you wake up, you are making the decision on how you are going to invest God's money? Knowing that as you do that, you are slowly revealing who you are as a person on the inside. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So how do we get our heart right on this? If my heart is truly where my treasure is, how do I get my heart and my mind in line with God on this subject? Church, today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And you can turn there if you have a Bible or a device, or the scripture will be on the screen. But as we go there, I do want to point out some context of what is happening as Paul is writing this letter. Because what is happening right now is the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the New Testament church was founded. It's the home base. At this time, the church in Jerusalem is struggling financially. And Paul, who is a missionary, he plants churches, he trains up leaders, he travels, he visits them. Right now, he is traveling all over the map. And as he is visiting these, these places, he's letting them know, he's saying, hey, the church where this all started from, back in Jerusalem, they're really struggling. And he is encouraging them to give and help support the church in Jerusalem. And this is really a beautiful picture to see a church helping a church, because it's like we say around here. When it comes to the churches in our community, we're not in competition with one another. We complete one another. 
And that is what Paul is trying to encourage here. And so as he's writing this letter, he's writing it to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth, they keep saying things like, hey, we want to give. We, we want to really help the church in Jerusalem. Yes, we'll donate. We'll, we'll help them. But they never actually follow through on it. They keep saying, yes, we're going to do this. It's like when you meet a friend that you haven't seen in a long time. And you say, hey, let's grab dinner and catch up. And they're like, yeah. And then a year later it goes by and you see them again. Hey, we should catch up. Yeah. We never do. That's what's happening here. They keep saying they're going to help and they don't. And Paul writes this letter and we can really see him honing in on this in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And he's telling them, he's saying, hey, you said you're going to do this. You, You need to make good on that promise. And I want to look at three things Paul gives them, because it applies to them back then, and it applies to us now. We're going to look at Paul. He tells them the why we should give, how we should give, and the correct motivation for giving. The why, the how, and the correct motivation. And so church, before we dive into this text, I'm going to ask, can we do something different today? We're getting blank stares. Okay, yes, let's do something different today. I want to have a little more interaction within our reading. I'm going to read the text. You can follow along, and we're going to come across some highlighted words. And as we do, I'm going to ask that you help me emphasize those by reading them out loud. Because there are a few things we need to point out, and I need those emphasized. So if it's highlighted, it's for you. That's the rule of thumb today, all right? All right, let's dive into this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows, what church? Generously. Oh, you got this. Will also reap generously. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Why should we give generously? We should give generously because giving is all about investing in what really matters. Giving is all about investing in what really matters. Paul is saying here, when you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. There's going to be a reward. But if you are stingy in your giving then don't be surprised when that is your outcome. Church, when we become a people of God who loosens the grip on the money that we have and we say, God, you own everything. You created everything. You own everything. What is mine is yours. How do you want me to invest your money? When we do that, we are actually partnering with God and accomplishing his work. Maybe we should look at it this way. Have you ever had a struggle in your life? Have you ever maybe lost somebody and you need comfort? You need someone to embrace you. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage, in your relationships, and you need sound, biblical, doctrinal advice, counsel. Maybe you struggle financially and you need help. If you've had a struggle, how does God typically show up? How does he show up? He doesn't send an angel down to drop off a check and say, there you go, everything's better. No. 
God shows up through his followers, through his disciples, through his church. That is how he shows up. If you need comfort, that is how he wants to embrace you. If, if you need help, that is how he wants to help you. If you are struggling with an addiction with, within your marriage, if you are struggling and you need counsel, you need biblical advice, he works through his people to see that through. So when we invest and partner with God financially, we are actually a means to accomplishing his work through his people because that is how he typically shows up. Sometimes, though, when it comes to investing, we can, get, we can overcomplicate this. We can overcomplicate this because we live in a world that is so saturated in all of these ways that you can invest money. And we also live in a world that will tell you your wants should become your needs, and from there, that means you deserve it. Have you seen commercials nowadays? Do you watch commercials? Commercials don't say, hey, here is our product. Please buy it. No. No, they try to play with the mind and say, hey, here is this product. You need this product in your life. You need to pay this amount to have this in your life. Why? Because you deserve it. The newest and latest and greatest thing, yes, you deserve it. We just read from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. I want to kind of back up from there and get Jesus' perspective on this. I'm going to back up. In verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But in verse 20, he says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what Jesus is not saying here, he's not saying live in a tent and eat nothing but beans out of a can. That is not what he's saying. Don't confuse this because providing for your family is a good thing. It's good that we're able to invest in things, a house, a car, education. It's good, and it's godly. We're allowed to do that. What he is saying here is, though, don't confuse your wants with needs. Because when you do that, you start storing up for yourself treasures here on earth. What he is saying is, do not invest in all of these things that mean nothing in eternity. There's a country song that says, I ain't never seen a hearse with a trailer hitched. Right? We're not taking it with us. But what he is saying here is invest in what really matters. And by doing that, that is how you store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Listen, the point is, and maybe you need to write this down to remember. Do not let your wants turn into needs. Because from there it can turn into, I always need more. That is a dangerous place to be, church. That changes your heart. Now, on the other hand, Paul does say that if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. There is going to be a return. So what is this return Paul is referring to? What does that look like? Well, let's continue on in our text in 2 Corinthians. Let's go to verse 10. He says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower 
and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. He is the one who gives us the seed to sow, the, the bread for food. He gives us things. Why? We partner with God so that we can invest in his work and share in the profits. We get to share in the, in the reward. We get to share in the profits. Listen, when we invest with God generously, because we can see what really matters. We get to share in the return. God grows us spiritually. He blesses us. God's work is done. Others are help, and we are blessed. Several weeks ago, we did a drive for the people of eastern Kentucky who lost their homes in the flood. And boy, did our church show up generously. Our community and surrounding communities showed up generously. Enough to where we were able to send seven semi-trailers of stuff down to the people of eastern Kentucky. And I had a mom reach out to me from the community, and she gave me permission to share the story, but I won't say the young man's name. There's a young man in our community, 11 years old, who's seen, his, his parents seen our social media ad, and so they went and bought supplies to drop off at our church. And this young man said, I want to help. This young man sold his PlayStation 5 and all of his games, took the money with his dad to the store. She sent me a picture of him walking through the store, putting supplies in a cart. He paid for it with that money, dropped it off on the front porch of a church so that we could get it to Kentucky. 11 years old. He said, I see what matters, and I want to invest in that. Earlier this year, we did a drive for the people, for the displaced people of Ukraine. And we partnered with a local, with an organization that has a compound set up in Poland. And we were able to send them tons of infant care products and first aid supplies. And they said they have had such generosity coming in, so much supplies coming in, to where they haven't had to turn a single person away. They have been able to house everyone that has come in. And because this is a Christian organization, Jesus Christ has been shared every day. Hundreds of Ukrainian people have come to Christ, and it happened because of your generosity. We get to share in that reward. We get to say, I was a part of doing that. Someday we're going to be in heaven, and we're going to meet people that we'll never meet on this side of earth. And they will tell us a story about how our generosity led them to a place where they could say yes to Christ. We get to reap in that reward. We just seen a, a little bit ago, two men from our church, Eric and Kenny, they said yes to Christ. Because of generosity that happens here in our local congregation, because of your generosity and the mission that keeps flourishing from this church, you get to reap in that reward. You see, the point is people see Jesus 
through your generosity. That's the bottom line. Let's look at verse 7 of our text in Corinthians. Each of you should give what you have, what church? Decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is the second principle Paul wants us to see. Giving should be planned. Giving should be planned. There should be a decision. That means you have thought this through. Listen, generosity might come from the heart, but it don't happen without a plan. Otherwise, it's just leftovers and afterthoughts. Unless, unless we think it, pray it, plan it. Church, when it comes to giving, this is the roadmap to a healthy lifestyle of giving. Think it, pray it, plan it. Think about what matters. Can we go back, gentlemen? Think about what matters. Think about what to invest in. Pray it. Pray, God, how do you want me to invest your money? How much do you want me to invest? Then make the plan to see it through. Make the plan to see it through. Make sure it happens. This is where a lot of us can, can struggle with, me personally. You see, because if we're not planning on it, if we're not saying this day, this time, this is how I'm going to give, this is the plan, if we're not doing that, then we could give compulsively. And that is how Paul said not to give. And if we're giving compulsively, that means we haven't thought it through. There's this term called the offering plate shuffle. Maybe, maybe you've heard of it. Do you all remember the days pre-COVID when we passed the offering plate? That felt like a long time ago, didn't it? What happens, the offering plate shuffle happens, and maybe this has happened to you, when you see the offering plate coming and you have this moment of panic and you start shuffling around for your wallet, you're, you're asking your spouse, did you have any cash on you? You, you pull out a 20 and a 5 and you're sitting there, uh, uh, wish I had some ones on me. Church, is it fair to say that if the offering plate shuffle is happening, that you haven't thought it through? And if you haven't thought it through, is that really how God wants you to give? Is it? We cannot make God an afterthought. Do not make God an afterthought. Hey, God, we ate all the good steak. Now, here's the Brussels sprouts no one wanted. You see, we cannot be making him an afterthought. Church, did you know? Did you know that the greatest plan for generosity happened when Christ was on that cross? That was the greatest plan of generosity. Why was that a plan? Because you were not an afterthought. Think about that. You were not an afterthought. So church, we cannot be making God an afterthought. Let's look at verse 7 one more time. Verse 7 of our text. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves what, church? Cheerful giver. Yes, this is the motivator. This is the third principle Paul's talking about. Giving should be motivated by joy. Giving should be motivated by joy. Church, have you ever been in a situation Maybe you don't know the person. Maybe you do. Maybe it's a commercial. 
Have you ever been in a situation where someone is trying to get you to give compulsively towards something? I mean, God bless the Salvation Army. They do great work. But I'm sorry, when I'm coming out of the store during the holidays, I don't carry cash on me. And then I see these sweet people ringing the bell, asking for donations, and I know it's a good cause, and I'm like, ah, I feel so guilty, and so I do this thing where I pretend like I'm on my phone so I don't have to make eye contact, and I walk past. I know that's not the right heart to have, but I don't really want to have that awkwardness happen because I don't carry cash on me. (laughs) Maybe you've been in that situation. Maybe you've been watching a commercial, and there's this three-legged puppy staring at you through a cage as the song plays in the background. I will remember you. And they're like, for this amount, this puppy will be fed. And you're like, ah, I want to help the puppy. Right? There are some organizations, you can Google them. There are some organizations who have right out said, we don't care how we twist your arm, but we're going to get you to give compulsively. God says, I don't want to work that way. He says, I don't want to work that way. I want joy to motivate your giving. I want you to be motivated by joy. I want you to be excited. Church, there should be no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. Ah, we have to donate to help our father's kitchen. Ah, we got to donate money to help send kids to camp to learn about Jesus. Ah, I wonder what natural disaster we're helping this week. There should be no such thing in the family of God as a Christian Scrooge. But when we give cheerfully, when we invest by giving cheerfully, we get to do that knowing, knowing that we are a people God loves. God says it. I love a cheerful giver. I love the cheerful giver. church, maybe maybe you need to answer this for yourself right here, right now. Do you want the favor and blessing of God in your life? Do you want the favor and blessing of God to be over your life? If yes, then participate by giving cheerfully. I love how Paul words this. We're going to read here in a moment. Paul, in a chapter before the one we're looking at, he gives the greatest reason for our motivation of giving. He gives the greatest reason on why joy should motivate our giving. Let's look at chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 7. Paul is still writing to the church in Corinth. He says, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you. I tell you what, if you're going to ask someone to give, you might as well tell them how awesome they are, right? You are all awesome. (laughs) See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you. Paul's saying, I'm not going to tell you to do this. I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to get you, because that's not how God wants us to give. He wants joy to motivate the giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Verse 9. This is so good. For you know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Church, when it comes to giving, this is really the only verse we should ever need. This is the only verse we should, if we can just ingrain this verse in our hearts, if we can truly grasp the weight of this verse, apply it to our lives, so many other things would fall in place. Paul's entire motivation for giving is saying, hey, look at what Jesus has done for you. Look at what he gave up for you. Church, can we picture this? Can we picture our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ, climbing the hill on Calvary, carrying his cross? As they get up there, the Roman soldiers, they strip him of his robe. Literally the last bit of his possession here on earth. He literally became poor. They stripped him of his robe. They stripped him of what little dignity he had left. They exposed him. They cast lots and gambled off his robe. He literally became poor. Is it safe to say that God is rich? Yeah, right, yes, of course. He is the richest. And yet God, through his son, he says, I am willing to leave that. I am willing to have my son leave the throne room of heaven and come down and become literally poor. Church, do we grasp this? Jesus didn't just die for you. He completely switched places with you. That was supposed to be you. That was supposed to be me. And he says, nah, I'm switching places with you. You want to know the greatest plan for generosity? Watch how I switch places with you. Watch how I come poor. Why? Why did he become poor? So that we, through his poverty, can become rich. Rich in love. Rich in grace. Rich in mercy. Rich in fellowship with him. Rich in eternity. And yeah, maybe even rich here on earth. He says, I'm doing that for you. I give it all up for you. Jesus says, I'm paying the ultimate price for you. I am paying it all so that way you can have the chance to give as well, to give as I give. But trust me, we will never have to give what Jesus gave. Because of what he did, we will never have to give what he gave. Church, when we truly grasp what this verse is talking about, when we truly acknowledge that he became poor so that we become rich, how can we not let joy motivate our giving? How could we not be excited and say, God, everything I have is yours. How do you want me to invest? Do you know why God loves a cheerful giver? It's because that's who he is. He loves to cheer forgiver because that's who he is. Listen, listen, Jesus will never ask you to do something that he doesn't do first. And he will never ask you to do something that he has not already done for you. This is our motivation. This is what motivates our joy. Who God is and what he has done. And church, when we start to fully grasp and we remember who God is and what he has done, then it makes it easier it makes it easier to give. I'm sorry, guys, can we go back one? It makes it easier to invest in what really matters. It makes it easier to plan your giving. 
And it makes more sense to let joy be your motivator for giving. Who he is and what he's done. Church, did you notice what's missing here? Do you know what's missing in all of this teaching from Paul? The amount. The the percentage. How much we should give. Why is it not there? Because Paul don't want it to be there. There's an Old Testament law called tithing. You've probably heard of it. That is to give 10% of your income. And if you're new to giving, that might be a great place to start. But Paul says, no, he don't want us to give that way. He don't want us to be a checkbox and say, 10% of whatever I have, yeah, sure, check the box off, we did it. No. Paul wants joy to motivate our giving. Paul wants what Christ has done for us to motivate our giving. That's how he wants us to give. Why? Because it's personal. It's between us and Christ. Church, if you want the healthy roadmap as we evaluate our lives for giving, all you need to do is think it, pray it, plan it. Think about what really matters. Think about Jesus. Think about what he's done for you. We just sang that song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Think about what really matters. Think about Jesus. Pray about it. Ask God how he wants that to look. Then make the plan to see it through. Think it, pray it, plan it. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.